Did you learn Kona Call? I didn't because at the time when I saw, oh, you can sign up for this Kona Call class, I didn't sign up because I didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until the end of the school year that uh, Mel did this fantastic performance at the Triscoll Arts Performing Center and had his whole class come up and do this performance behind him. Uh, and it was just amazing and astounding. And I was like, if I'd known what it was, I would have totally done this. But I, I took everything I could. Um, uh, I Just before my spring break was the first time I saw a Shruti box. Um, Mihalo Sulawain's then wife, Noreen Nirian, was uh, was playing a uh, this it look it basically looks like an accordion with no buttons it's got one bellow and you just move it in and out and it creates ah. this a drone and uh, Mihal was playing the tin whistle and it was just the most amazing thing and so on my spring break uh, part of my my journey was to go through London but I, unlike uh, a normal student I didn't stop at the British Museum or anything like that I went to Southall which is the Indian section of London. Great food. People. Got myself, Go got myself, yeah, and I got myself a shooty box. And just before spring break, we had been learning. I was all excited to, to show off my knowledge. We had been learning about South Indian composers um, who, who are some of them. greats, yeah, who had been canonized in in the Indian uh, theology to uh, what would be the equivalent of sainthood. 18th century composers. One was named Chakaraja, one was called Sayama Sastri, and one was called Muttuswami Dikshitar. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, and yeah, and so Mel Mel Mercy, of course, like said this, and he deliberately set us up so that we would get the giggles, and he he pretended to be, you know, what's Very so good. funny, yes. and then he'd say, okay, now we're going to listen to a piece of music by Dick Shitter. So, <laughs> so when I got to Southall, um, I found my shooty box. I found this incredible restaurant, and you know, the these all these guys. I'm walking around by myself. These guys came up and started talking to me. I ordered the hottest thing on the menu. And they all clustered around me, um, mm. waiting for me to just burst into flame. I'm like, oh, my, I'm a little Cajun girl. I can handle this meat. I thought, I don't care if I spontaneously combust. It's on now. Uh, and it wasn't too hot. It was delicious. But I guess they, you know, they, they assumed that I wasn't going to be able to handle it. Uh, and uh, I told them about what I'd been learning. And they introduced me to this guy who was living in a little apartment upstairs <coughs> from the restaurant. And... Um, uh, he was a, a harmonium player and was showing me like he had a little uh, eight track recording a recorder and he was showing some stuff. He was some compositions he was working on and he was multi-tracking and I was all excited. I was like, yeah, I've been learning too, you know, about, about Chakaraja and Muttaswami Dikshitar. And he looks at me, he goes, Dikshitar? Ha, 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 ha. I was like, God damn it. I ended up using this as a running gag on a, in a story that I, I, I recently published in an anthology um, called Across the Universe, which imagines alternate Beatles. Um, like, what if the Beatles had been space aliens? What if they'd been zombies? What if they'd been wizards? So I did minus, what if they had been Cajuns? So George wow. Harrison, his character, um, his, uh, his name is T-Boy Landry. Uh, but because... He's a, he's a fiddle player. I decided that he loves all fiddle music. And so instead of being into North Indian music, that he's going to be into South Indian music where they use the violin. And the running gag is that his bandmates keep, keep teasing him about, uh, about Dick Shitter. And that's, oh that's like, the, I think I'm going to write a comic opera based on your story. I, this is amazing. It would go incredible down here. I really <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be doing a, um, tomorrow I'm going to record, um, do a pre-recorded uh, video of myself 
reading my chapter um, in this anthology. Um, and really? uh, so, so it, it will be available for people to, uh, to, you know, to watch and, and hear me uh, read them a story. And so you'll, you'll hear the whole thing soon about, uh, uh, about Muttaswami Dikshitar. Great. So that's great. So we got the Muttaswami Dikshitar and, and the, <laughs> musician, the Indian musicians that you learned about and Bonnie's, it sounds like a great school. I'm, I'm, I'm just really impressed by, the, by how much you were getting there. And so how long were you there in Cork doing this? I was there a little over a year. Um, I started early because they had like a six-week six week course that you could take before the official semester started that was geared toward um, foreign students um, for Celtic archaeology. And I'm like, you mean I get to actually go to Ireland early? Great. So I went, uh, so I did that first, um, which was amazing. And uh, you, you get really dirty doing it because there are a lot of these ruins that are in people's cow pastures so we had to get around everything from electric fences to inquisitive donkeys to uh rather irate bulls um and sliding through mud and, and things like that um one of our assignments uh they taught us what's pronounced om some people have corrected me and said it's agam but every archaeologist i've ever talked to pronounces it om o-g-h-a-m or uh -huh. h if you're you know in, from Ireland or Australia, um, which is a, an early alphabet that's read vertically, uh, a series of slashes and, and, and dots along a line. Uh, and uh, there are stones that are still there that have these, you know, that, that have this writing in it. So our yeah. assignment was to go to one of these ohm stones and with the, uh, the, the uh, with our books and we had to translate it. Wow. Yeah. And, um, now you you said that the way that you learn that the way that you thought about learning Irish music changed over that year, and so how did uh, I mean you we started we had started up that that way because you said at first you were learning things off records and you learned from the, the uh, learned a lot from the DJ on OZ, but then obviously things must have changed in the next year. What do you got? What well, happened? of course, I mean it's it's being immersed in it because I mean there are a lot of wonderful things. Um, that I learned in the classes. Um, but of course, a lot of it was just going into sessions, um, listening to other people, making a lot of mistakes, learning from those mistakes, um, and just drinking a lot of, drinking a lot of Guinness. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and just right. being, just being around it all the time at a, at a time that there was nothing that I would have rather been doing. And I'm lucky that I got a chance to actually immerse myself in something that at that time I was thirsty to learn and I wish I could go back and channel some of that that eagerness because I had a voracious musical appetite back then um, that it's hard not to be jaded after you know almost 29 years of doing music for a living it's hard not to be jaded I wish I could tap into that energy a little bit um, but uh, I just listened to as many different bazooki players as I could and watched what they were doing um, and, uh, you know, so, and a lot of it was making mistakes too, learning things you just don't do in a, in a session. Um, some of this I, I knew in advance, uh, but. What are the things you don't do? What? Uh, well, for one thing, there, there are a couple of, there will be one or two people who are, cons who are designated to lead the session. They start off the tunes, you listen you don't start the tune unless somebody invites you to. 
Now this is from 20 something years ago. Uh, and now all the rules have changed even then. And I've been out of the loop. Like now there are different kinds of sessions. There are open sessions or there are, you know, limited sessions. There's some where everybody can join in. And there's some that are closed sessions where everybody's sitting around having tunes, but you can't join in. Um, like that is, is a totally different world than what I knew 20 something years ago. Um, I, I'd heard things like that. If somebody invites you to sin and you're supposed to refuse X many times, um, I think that was probably exaggerated. Um, uh, but a lot of, um, a lot of it is based on common sense and manners. Um, that, uh, if you just, if you just use some common sense, so you've got the people who are leading the tune, they, they might invite you to start one. Um, if you don't know a tune, then sit the hell down and shut up and listen. Uh, you don't have to be playing all the time. Um, when it comes to round buying, that's a huge part of decorum, not just in music, but, um, with everybody. Um, in America, somebody said, Hey, can I buy you a drink? Hey, sure. You know, you got chug a lug and go along your merry way. If somebody in Ireland offers to buy you a drink, um, they are making a commitment to engaging in conversation. Um, so you have to buy them one back. Uh Um, it is not a one way. It is not a one way straight. You buy that person one back and they might pretend to put up a fuss. Like, Oh no, no, no. You're, you're great. No, let me get it. Let me, you know, you can tell where the Irish people are in the bar because there's like, no, I got this round. No, I've got it. No, I've got it. Yeah. But I started thinking about it. Like for instance, if you're going out with your, with three friends, you know, you're going to be having at least four drinks. Uh-huh. Um, if you can't keep up with that amount of alcohol consumed, then on somebody else's round, order something non-alcoholic, order a, a Coke or a, you know, uh-huh. or sparkling water or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, it's not only a, a way to, to show, uh, the, to be inclusive, but it's a good way to look, you know, by judging by the levels of drinks, who's doing too much talking and not enough drinking. Yes. Uh-huh. That's my, that's my philosophy. Uh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm reading a book uh, right now, but I mean, I wrote a, I, I wrote an opera last year about, um, oh, on James, on James Joyce's, uh, uh, the dirty letters to his, to his, to Nora, who was his, they never got married, but his, you know, his lover for his whole life. Um, and uh, uh, amidst this, you know, there's, there was an int- very interesting book that I rolled across, it's called Party Pieces, that had to do somewhat with the, the the manner behavior and understood inner in, inner things that are in uh irish modes of uh holding forth that's why it's called party pieces there and what the what the what the inside rules of that are and, and the depictions of it that are masked or otherwise or otherwise stated in various different kinds of shading between beckett and and james joyce it was very interesting this had to do with a lot of the things that you're talking about there i mean it occurs all over the place and I oddly had an experience. I was just in Ireland for the first time. And uh, I remember I was sitting there watching some music. It was a great place. It turned out to be across the street. It was the only place I went through that was cool because it was a touristy. I don't know how I ended up. It's my luck to end up across the street from a place that, that had the only sort of non-weird, non-strange tourism thing. Dublin is so overrun with that now, uh, as everywhere is. But I think we're about to get a break because of coronavirus. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, the, you know, but... But uh, but it was interesting. At one point, I mean, I had the good sense too. I was sitting there watching, and the guy, the guy turns to me, sees me sitting there, and he's like, "So, what song have you got to sing?" And I'm like, "I don't know anything that you people play." play. <laughs> yeah, I got songs, but I can't do it. And he said, "Well, do that then." I said, 
no, it's okay. I just enjoy what's going on. And yeah. I'm glad you know, it was a reasonable thing, you know, it's like, you know, because, uh, but you could see it there. The it was sort of the challenge when I could see right away. I mean, it's just, just my instinct was don't say yes, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, the thing is, is that um, at least back, you know, when I was there, um, most, in most sessions, um, people who would at least participate in the session would get at least one free drink. Uh, when I was in the North, um, if you played, you drank free all night long because, uh, you know, people appreciated it more because I was there. I spent a lot of time up in the North and it's the reason that I don't do rebel songs because I spent so much time up there knowing one, this is not my story for the telling. This is not, uh, uh, it's not my, my place to say what should or shouldn't be done. And I met people from uh, Protestant and Catholic and most of them just wanted to go about their business and not bother anybody. Sure. Yeah. But in, but all, all that being said, um, people had a lot more appreciation for trad music when it was happening uh, because it was uh, occasionally a treacherous thing to do. And um, a friend of mine bore witness to this, this <laughs> incident where people are sitting around. I can't remember where, where it was up in the north, but um, this one old boy, I guess he decided he wanted a free drink too. So he starts singing. He's like... As I was walking on the shores of Lachne, I met this wee girl, and her hair was like the shine. And he's yeah. going on and on. You can tell he's just making this shit up as he's going along because he wants a free drink. He's trying to get one in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. When you got back, now, with this amount of information in you, you probably have to come back to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, 1991, 92 or something. Uh, like that. I came back in uh, 1994. 94. Okay, so you're going yeah. 1993, 94. So what, uh, what was it like rolling back into here with, with now with that kind of uh, eye-opening uh, musical uh, perspective? Major reverse culture shock for one. Um, I hadn't heard as many American accents around that time, so I had this really fucked up accent when I came back. Um, that eventually faded, of course. Um, but I had this fucked up accent. Traffic came from the wrong direction again. Um, people talked louder. People stood closer. Uh, and the thing is, my parents picked me up. There wasn't um, a direct flight uh, that could take me close to Lafayette or New Orleans. So my parents picked me up in Houston. And um, this is before uh, social media or the internet or anything like that. Like the major news that I got... That was all the, the thing was the the major news that came over from America was the Michael Jackson scan the first Michael Jackson scandal, uh -huh. um, uh, and then um, the the main things were like uh, mad cow disease was all of a sudden a thing for the first time, and uh, this horrible case that happened in Liverpool where these two guys, these two little boys, like nine and ten, abducted a toddler in a mall, and did horrible things to him and beat him and left him for at, dead by the railroad tracks. And everybody was trying to blame the horror movies that they watched instead of, instead of the elephant in the room that the parents weren't paying enough attention to the children enough that they probably said, you know, this is not a good idea to watch, you know? It's, so this went on, you know, that, those are the main things that were going on. I come back to America and my parents are filling me in. Um, so for the first time I'm hearing about OJ and, uh -huh. Kill Barney. <laughs> and I'm like, what the Kill fuck? Barney sounds Irish. Yeah, so there was Kill Barney. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> stop. I was like, stop, rewind. People are trying to 
put out a death warrant on an imaginary purple dinosaur because that makes total sense. Uh-huh. And OJ, so what I came back, you know, I think, I think they had, had just gotten OJ. So that having heard nothing of this and I come back, bam, OJ kill Barney. Here comes traffic from the wrong direction again. Uh, and I'm just like, ah. so for a while, um, I, I had this mixed accent. In fact, that's when Josh, uh, who's now my husband, uh, for people tuning in, uh, who don't know my husband, Josh Paxton, who's a great player, piano player, great piano player. Um, we met shortly after I got back at the neutral ground, um, coffee house, you know, these little gigs where you play and you, you, uh, depend on the tips. Somebody passes the, the basket around and you, that's what, that's what you make in tips. And, uh, Josh thought I was Irish, uh, and I'm sitting there playing some, this, uh, decidedly different music on a decidedly different instrument. And he said he was going to ask me out then. And, uh, his buddy told him that I was out of his league. And so he never did. Oh, that's, you know, that's funny. Cause that's when I was about playing with Josh. We, there was a period where I was playing with him because we were in Michael Ray's band and it was around then. So oh Yeah. When I would have first met Josh, yeah, we played together in Mike's band for a while, and uh, just a long time ago. But I, I remember, but but then it, it would never have occurred to me because I didn't know anything at all about Josh's life at all. We used to just come in and play together, you know. But uh, I didn't know anything, so that's a very interesting story. It's, yeah. Been, so we didn't we didn't reconnect until um, probably um, twenty sixteen or so. I was on my second tour of Australia, and you know we'd kind of seen each other just. In, in passing and that was about it. And then I get a message on Facebook from him saying, I see that you're in Australia. Um, is it at some point, can I pick your brain um, about, uh, about touring there myself? So I said, sure, when I get back, um, how about if we get lunch and I'll an- be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Mm-hmm. So we, we got lunch and we spent about 10 minutes talking about Australia and about 90 minutes telling um, completely disgusting, sick jokes and uh, <laughs> warped anecdotes a good start to a relationship so yeah. uh what uh, now so when you got back to uh louisiana then uh you, did you go you went straight back to lafayette off of the off of the irish thing or did you come straight here yeah well the the um school year hadn't started yet i ah. had a few weeks between because uh, at the time um i was still living in dorms it was i came back to do my my last year living in a in a dorm one of the upper class dorms. So I had a little bit of time in Lafayette and then, you know, went back to New Orleans and, and reconnected with my old bandmates uh, and, you know, just st- spent a lot of time processing how much had changed. Um, some of it just in a general level and some of it as to what that meant for me uh, and um, how other people had changed. Um, so you know, just just like anything that you you leave, even for even for a summer, you come back and things are different. But I spent a lot of time wrapping my head around things. Uh, did you have idea musical ideas that were shifting immediately, like things that you wanted to do when you got back? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, I had thought about recording um, when I was in Ireland, and at the time, I felt like I was still process- taking in information because I was around so much just sublime musicianship that I didn't feel like the time was right to start recording because uh, I felt like uh, I was, I was not in that league. But when I got back and I had some ideas for this band that was later to become the poor Claire's 
and I had a head full of ideas that I, I shared with everybody, uh, not just with Irish music, but I'd been collecting music um, in other places. Uh, when I interviewed Johnny Moynihan for my school project, one of the things that he talked about was uh, being in his youth and hitchhiking around, uh, just collecting tunes. And so on my spring break, that's what I did. I went hitching around. Um, I did go hitchhiking, uh, which is a, a, a good deal safer than uh, I wouldn't recommend it now. But uh, so I went and found uh, tunes in Scotland and I found tunes uh, in, in Wales and I found tunes in, in Cornwall and on the Isle of Man. And I, I, I collected all those and I brought them back uh, and we recorded a lot of those uh, with the Poor Clares. Now, let's talk about differences. Like, how would you say so that the start was in Ireland, but then you get to, I lived, I actually lived in Wales for more than a year. It's strange enough. But uh, what, where, uh, what were you finding about the differences in, uh, was, was there a lot of difference in Scotland and Wales and uh, Cornwall uh, with what you were finding, which I guess mm -hmm. are the principal places where music it's, was? Well, every, every place was so brief that it was really hard to, um, to say, what the differences were on the whole, because I was there for you know for such short periods of time, so I, I mainly can can uh, tell you these based on my own personal experiences. For instance, I was in a session in uh, Oban um, in in Scotland, and uh, met up with these travelers. Um, uh, they they have their own um, musical style. Um, they are, you know, I, I would say they're they're. How can I say this? I don't. I do not want to get this wrong. A friend of mine uh, did her her dissertation on the traveling people of Ireland, um, and uh, the music tradition is different. Um, you know, you would not want to say you you can't say gypsies anymore or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, or, or and uh, what we've got is so far removed from from any Romani uh, origins. But uh, but with the travelers, met up with these friendly travelers. And uh, we all, I ended up in, in somebody's caravan with this Scottish deerhound that was about as big as I was in this tiny little caravan. And I'm sitting away playing tunes with these travelers. And um, somebody gave me a cup of wine. I started drinking some wine and then I started to nod off. And at one point they started shaking my shoulders because they thought I'd stopped breathing. Oh, wow. it was because the wine was so cheap that it had stained my lips blue. <laughs> so they thought <laughs> I'd stopped breathing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I also had... You know, I mean, these things that, that instead of, there was so much information to process because on a personal level, like on the ferry going from, um, from uh, Larne, um, it, just outside of Belfast to Stranraer, which is where you get into Scotland, um, I met this girl from Vancouver and we got to talking and then, then we met these two girls from Glasgow. Uh, we were all roughly the same age. And we decided we were going to have a hitchhiking race to Glasgow. So it was the two Glaswegians <laughs> versus the, the 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 Canadian girl and myself. And so we're like trying to like get there, like okay, on your mark, get set, go. And we put our thumbs out on the road. Put your thumbs and hit it. Uh -huh. And uh, and so we're watching them going by. We're waving to them on the road, um, like this sweet old couple who picked up the girl from Vancouver and myself. And. Uh, and they're like, oh, oh, you must be tired. Come in and have some. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I make them sound Irish. Uh, have some, some, some bickies and and some tea. And you know the, these, uh, you know, these people that could be somebody's grandparents, and they came in for for tea and biscuits and things like that. And we're like slugging our tea, like nice house. We gotta go. <laughs> and we're trying to be polite, <laughs> and we can't tell them that we're having a hitchhiking race. 
So we're like sitting there. It's like a sitcom because we're trying to be as polite as we can, you know, and, and have the, have the, I think it was shortbread, of course, because it was Scotland. So uh-huh. we're having the shortbread and the tea, you know, and, and luckily uh, we uh, got, uh, got ahead because the Glaswegian girls decided while they were waiting for another car to pick them up, uh, there was a lamb that strayed too close to the fence. So they decided they were going to abduct the lamb and then jump into the next car with somebody's kidnapped lamb. And that didn't go over well. They, you know, obviously the lamb did not make it with them to Glasgow. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they had to let it go. I can't remember if it was a lamb or a calf, but anyway, they said, oh, while we're at it, let's just, you know, abduct somebody's lamb. So we won, uh, but barely, but only because they stopped to, you know, try, try to steal somebody's farm animal. <laughs> Wonderful. So how do you find musicians up there then in Wales uh, and Scotland and Cornwall? Um, everybody was, uh, was very accommodating because I think for all that I was stumbling and bumbling. And of course, uh, Americans never did have the best reputation in any foreign country. I found one of the best ways to get, to get past that is, is just to go by every stereotype, um, that every American has of, of asking dumb questions. Um, you know, if anybody had an attitude, I'm like, okay, let's get this out of the way. Oh my God, it's so green. Oh my God. My, my grandmother is from, and then you know, name whatever country I happen to be in or Celtic nation. You know, if I was in Ireland, for instance, I would just go through the whole list of um, every things that Americans had a reputation. Oh my God, it's so green. Oh my God, my grandmother was from Ireland. Can you show us a real IRA member? Can you show us a real Lepretian? Can you do, you know, why did they build that castle so close to the highway? And I would just go down all the list. Um, I found that it's, I can't remember if it's judo which is the martial art in which you actually move with the attacker instead of against that. So if you laugh at yourself first, then they have nothing on you. All right. um, I learned, I got really good at it in Belfast because Belfast, there's this extra layer of social interaction they call slagging where they just, they're merciless. They will go after you and it's kind of sh- to figure out the stuff you're made of. So I found that if you like, like, okay, bring it on. Um, they've got nothing to say, you know, and they, then they figure out that you're okay. So right. I'd go through all these lists of all these, these, this whole list of things we have a reputation of saying, it's like, now that that's out of the way, can we just play some fucking music? Uh-huh. And there are a lot of people who appreciated that I was trying to, to find the, uh, find out the music. I went to Cornwall and it was just sheer dumb luck that I ran into this fellow whose brother was a musician. And, uh, so they took me around looking for Cornish tunes at a time that you couldn't just go on the net and, and find it. So, uh, and this guy, um, this guy named Pete Burton and his brother, whose stage name is Kimo Mustafa, was uh, one of the members of this group called Three Mustafas Three, and they did a lot oh, of uh, Balkan. Yeah. yeah, his brother was, was in Three Mustafas Three. And so we went to this session uh, and playing Irish tunes and Cornish tunes, and it was great. And then Kimo gets up, with these, I think they're Bulgarian bagpipes, some of these Eastern European pipes that are that have the drones that are so long that uh-huh. you have to stand on a chair. They're made <laughs> from the, the torso of some farm animal. Yeah. And, and they're very shrill, and I, I just love them. But uh, all these Cornish people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I thought it was amazing. Uh, but, but the drones are so long that you have to stand on a chair so that they can reach the floor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. But they were they were very helpful in helping me uh, find Cornish music, you know, and, and 
that's basically when I went to the Isle of Man, same thing. Uh, they were touched that this girl from America who just managed to get her hands on a book, tried to learn from a, from a book how these Manx songs went. And so I went to these Manx sessions, um, uh, met up with this one of the most prominent Manx uh, singers, Brian Stoll, and uh, ended up sharing a taxi with him back into Douglas and we're drunkenly singing Manx songs in the back seat. Uh, <laughs> in and you were like, managing that language and everything. It's really unbelievable. Well, I didn't know it conversationally. Uh, I knew a few phrases, but um, uh, it's Manx. It should be noted that at the time, I thought it was a dead language, like that the last native speaker had died about 30 years prior. And then other people since have said, it's not dead yet. It's going for a walk. It feels happy, happy. And so, because <laughs> I went to a, a session in Peel and there were people speaking Manx to each other. So they were definitely making efforts to revive it. Uh -huh. how, would, how did you do it with the, with the Welsh? Welsh, I... Um, I spat on a lot of people from the sides of my mouth. Yes, trying to get you. <laughs> There's the double L. Uh, double L, right. The double L, C-H, uh, you yeah. know. I didn't have as much time in Wales as I would have liked, um, which is a shame because a, a good bit of my heritage comes from Wales. So I didn't, and I didn't have as much time as I would have liked. But every time I turned around, somebody was there helping me out. Um, I thought I was going to be late for my train. Somebody named Llewellyn uh, ran ahead of me and like held the train while I started running. You know, every time I was, I was waiting um, to catch a bus somewhere in Snowdonia and this had an hour to kill and the sweet elderly couple came along and they said, you've got an hour before your bus is, is going to show up. Why don't you come in and have some soup and some tea? Mm -hmm. uh, the sweet old couple, they never had any children. Um, and uh, just things like that. Right. Uh, Right. Uh, a, a kind of hospitality that you cannot put on. 